Welcome to the Service Intel podcast from Aquan. We all know that the service industry is changing fast, and that brings new challenges for service leaders to navigate. It also means there are new opportunities to build an even stronger service organization. This season, we're sitting down with top names in the industry who are rethinking what it means to provide great service. Sydney Lara, a quant service principal, will be your guide through it all as we navigate what's next for the service industry. On today's episode, we have Ehab Goldstein. Ehab is Global VP of Strategy and Competitive Insights and Head of Customer Service at medical device company LifeScan. He shares how we can use AI to take a more proactive approach to call data, from improving compliance at scale to supporting market research. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And now I'll pass things over to Sid. I'm really excited to introduce our next guest here, Ehab Goldstein with LifeScan. Um, very excited about our topic today, but I'll, I will allow a few minutes here for Ehab to talk about who he is and what he does. Ehab. Thank you, Sydney. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so my name is Ehab Goldstein. Um, I come from a kind of an analytics and insights background for quite a few years with LifeScan. I started off um, in a, getting a PhD in biomedical engineering, and I really wanted to apply the science to business, which is what took me to Boston Consulting Group, where I got to combine the two and then took it from there to LifeScan at Johnson & Johnson to really then apply more of that scientific thinking to business decisions, if you will, which then melded into what, what is known today as, as analytics and insights that's becoming common in, in many companies to, to help the executive team uh, you know, make database decisions. So today, um, you know, for the past three years, I've been on a journey of transformation of taking the LifeScan customer care team from where they are to kind of the, the, the latest and greatest cutting edge technologies to help them make database and insight-based decisions on how to best delight the customer, drive loyalty, and, and, and really drive uh, growth for our user base of, of over 20 million people around the world um, through our, our agents and our contact centers in partnership with, with sales and marketing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ehab. Um, this is a really, really exciting topic that I I can say personally, as I've led call centers for many years of my career, uh, and I've requested, you know, that our IT department records calls for quality purposes. But I'll be honest, you know, I've never leveraged, and, and what we're going to get into here with Ehab as an expert with this, never leveraged looking back on that information that we capture. Typically, it's when a customer calls and they complain about how an agent handled that call, we will probably go refer back to that recording and see what we can learn from it and how we course correct, et cetera. But you have, if you will, you know, you know, kind of if you could elaborate on why it's important that companies that are recording um, leverage the information, as you said, to become strategic, right? So there's so much information that we all harvest. But as I said, we don't go back enough to really understand what's with what we're capturing. Can you kind of tell the audience why it's important and how you got started on this journey and uh, what it's helping you do in your business uh, decision making today? Absolutely. No, great question. And um, it was a natural 
kind of juxtaposition of what I did before versus what I'm doing today. Um, back in the day, when you go in to analyze how well your marketing campaign or your sales force is doing, you go and plump a whole bunch of money into buying data from IMS or IQPA or Symphony to look at the prescription trends. You look at um, a lot of measures on clicks or GRPs or whatever it is to figure out how much your marketing campaign had impact, right? So there's huge investments when you talk about sales and marketing in measuring the impact of those investments to get to an ROI. Funnily enough, um, you know, recording of voice um, and recording of, of interviews and things like that or open-ended question surveys was an expensive part of that market research where after you saw your market share go up or down or you saw an unexpected result of the campaign, you usually had to go in and supplement with primary market research by sending out a bunch of people to ask questions either over the phone or face-to-face in, in, in -face or, or over surveys with the internet um, to, to understand why, right? And those recordings, I, I remember, you know, back in the day, and, you know, it was something called fast tapes where you literally went in with a, a voice recorder and you asked the, the doctor the same set of questions to make sure to understand whether your rep has been sending the right message, saying the right things about the product and its benefits, and really driving the sale to a close for a prescription recommendation. Those were gold, right, back in the day, because those really told you what to go back and do with your sales force to better deploy them, to better educate and train them to make that sale, to close that deal, to really get the recommendation from the doctors for your drug or device. Mm -hmm. Now, looking at customer care and the millions of contacts we've got, you know, over the years, you know, those are also recorded and they're just sitting there, but nobody's really listening to them. Now, you know, we can go into why, you know, that could be there's a million reasons between bandwidth, culture, investment, or maybe even understanding that the original reason why they're being recorded is for compliance purposes. In case sure. of an audit, you want to go back and be able to listen to what happened between an agent and a customer calling in if there is an investigation of some sort. Well, is that really the only reason you should be listening to those recordings? Well, absolutely not, right? Because if you look at these recordings as the outcome of that operation for compliance, but is giving you the same great value as market research, then you could definitely use them for market research. Now, this then brings the challenge of how are you going to listen to so many recordings? Today, in, you know, from a compliance perspective, a quality manager is requested or re required to actually listen to about three to five calls per agent per month to make sure that they're saying the right things, they're following the script, and they're being compliant. Well, if you think about the volume of calls we get, around 20 to 30,000 a month, that's you know, a drop in the bucket. It doesn't really give you much in terms of insights. So the impetus here was really to go and unlock that treasure trove of data to really better understand what our customers are doing, what they've been saying to us about our product, about our messaging, about our service, and about just the overall brand recognition and brand awareness in the market. Um, country by country, region by region, this is all doable, right? Uh, now with the advent of AI and the ability of many very smart, very fast processors to take in 
voice and transcribe it to text and then analyze it very effectively, giving you all the intentions of the caller is, is really where it's at. And, and that's going to be the, 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 the pinnacle of the insights that, that are going to come and help us course correct. Um, you can do this offline, but you can also get to do this online in real time to even help an agent do a better job on the spot through AI support um, on the call while listening to those calls. That's, that's yeah, awesome. Thank you, Ahab. Um, one thing that pops into mind, it's, you know, from your experience, it's typically, you mentioned something around improving product, understanding all the information that you're harvesting. I guess I want to ask, did, did you find disparities, uh, you know, between, you know, tickets, you know, submitted from the field and what it was saying about your products and services? And did you see different information coming from the call center that that we're not connected. And because of that, you're able to, to provide better insights to development that were being missed because traditional methods are just going to look at service invoices and records and, and parts types, uh, service type requests and parts change as opposed to what's being recorded on the phone. Talk a little about a little bit about your experience comes to how different it is from service records as, a, as opposed to the call center information. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. Um, you know, one of the first things we did um, when I came in was to look at the survey we already had set up for after call uh, finishes, you know, the, the, the agent hangs up and then there's a few questions being asked to a caller about what's what, you know, what they thought, right? Um, and, you know, it, it used to be the, the usual set of questions about net promoter score, effort level, um, satisfaction level, and, and first call resolution. Now, what we did um, was kind of improve that survey to ask more poignant questions that really separated out service satisfaction from product satisfaction. Yes. Because in the end, you know, somebody, the call is a, a 10 minute, you know, to 15 minute call. So a lot of things can go right and a lot of things can go wrong. A lot of times it might not be, you know, the agent's fault that the net promoter score was low but rather it was something with the product or with the setup or even with the policies that we've got on when we replace stuff or when how, how long of a warranty we have and things like that, which, which could get somebody upset um, or, or, or delighted uh, for that matter. So, you know, for example, you know, we, we always know that we're trying to improve our net promoter score over and over and over. Um, and in doing the survey update that I, that I just spoke of, we actually found out that the satisfaction level with the service is consistently higher than the satisfaction level of with, with the product and the policy of overall, which leads to a very different action, right, on how to fix that and how to improve the net promoter score, where now I no longer just look at my team in customer care to figure out what to course correct, but rather I look at the marketers and what they're saying about the product. I go talk to R&D to talk about the features on the products and what things are failing consistently or things that are delighting consistently in order to make sure on their next round of, of, of updates and adjustments, they do the right thing, whether it's on our you know, actual physical device or on the app um, that's associated with it, that's connected through Bluetooth. 
Yeah, and I think what you said there is so critical. I've been a huge fan of that, right? Net Promoter Score, everyone wants to adopt it or have have adopted the process, but you really clarified the differentiation between the product and the service. And I think often, you know, folks will go ahead and implement the process of NPS and it's very product, right? Which will take, as you said, down a different path, right? And great, great learnings from it, but... When you ask specifically about your satisfaction with the services, as you alluded to, very different outcomes, right? right. And a very different path of course correction, if there's course correction that needs to be needs to happen. But that to me is very, very important for everyone listening. It's when you're implementing or looking at this, are you asking the question specific or generically across your product? And I think that's a great point that you 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 differentiated. So thank you. Yeah. And, and, and we, we've gone further than that, right? Because it's not enough to just see a number. It's sure. a Likert score. It can tell you an average. It can tell you, tell you how many detractors you've got and how many promoters you've got. But to get to the why is really important. And this is where we're making the switch right now to make the case information associated with the survey very linked um, and, and very readily available because we're investing our time and effort at the contact center to actually call our detractors back and ask them, what, why you know, did you give us a, a four score? Um, you know, in the past, it's funny because I asked my team, hey guys, do you know why your detractors are, are, are giving you a low score? And the immediate answer I got was, oh, well, well they're, they're, just, they're just doing it by, by mistake. They're, they're just pressing the wrong number or they're in a rush or they're in a hurry. Like, I don't buy that. (laughs) Go and ask. Um, And lo and behold, there were people making mistakes and they were just in a rush and they, you know, instead of pressing a nine, they just pressed a one. Um, But that turned out to be only about 25 to 30% of the respondents. And and that tells us that we need to go and either clarify the question, shorten the survey or do something to get rid of that. But the other two thirds, right? The other, the other 60 five to 70% um, of the respondents had legit reasons for giving us a low score. And, you know, a a bunch of it was about product and warranty, as I said, and about a 20 to 30% portion was about the service itself, whether it's, it's about the the, the mannerism or the attitude of the agents, the language um, uh, and and the accents sometimes is an issue. Um, And it, it is something that now is helping us go after a course correction and a training course that, that helps us tackle these things uh, with the help of more AI um, of what happened during the call for that same call that got scored so low on and the MPS score afterwards. Awesome, thank you. You mentioned something about uh, potentially lessening the questions. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of keeping it simple and less is more because their directive, you know, uh, they're going to give you insights directionally to where good or bad. And then the follow-up is key. Do you have any advice that you have on your experience when it comes to asking questions? Are you trying to limit the amount of questions and use a follow-up as a process? Or what's your suggestion amount of questions that you would suggest that people deploy? Is it five questions? Is it 10? Is it three? Right? Uh, That's a a good one. And we struggled with that a little bit because initially we were limited to voice post-call surveys. 
Um, and there, you really have a much bigger drop off the more you increase the number of questions you've got. Yeah. Um, you know, we were very happy with our transfer rate, um, which was in the 30 to 50% range. When I first saw that, when I took over the team, I was blown away. I was like, wow, these guys really like to give feedback. But then I found out <laughs> that part of the script and the training of the agents was that the agents were actually asking people to answer the survey. This was something to be corrected. So coming from the scientific background that I have in academia, the first thing you want to do when you're doing any experiment and measuring stuff is to remove bias, right? And think about it, you know, when, when, when you get an anonymous survey, you know, you answer questions based on probably what you recall of that interaction. However, when you step out of an Uber after you've talked to a person and got kind of close to them and, and got to know them a little bit over the, the, the drive, how likely are you to give them one or two stars? Exactly. Right? There's yeah. a huge amount of bias in linking the survey to the agent themselves. And so the first thing I do is sever that connection, make sure that all the surveys are anonymous and they're offered up in the IVR before the call starts so that when the survey pops up, it almost has nothing to do with who the agent is, but rather with how well did we serve you? How well do you like the product? Was your issue resolved today? And you know how well do you are you going to recommend OneTouch to, to others? So that was step number one. The, the bias has to be removed because if you have the best survey structure with the best uh, choice architecture built in, if there is bias from how the survey is offered up, you're always going to get very um, you know, biased scores out of that. So that was the first fix. Then it came to how many questions, and you know, we, we cut it down to four questions on a Likert and then one question of a yes-no. Um, the basic questions, as I said, it, it would have been three-in-one, um, but I really wanted to separate out the service versus product satisfaction scores. Um, the other two are NPS and effort, uh, and then first call resolution is the yes-no. It's the standard five. Um, that, that we have right now across the globe, which by the way, also by region, there were differences when I first took over that now I had to streamline so that I can really compare um, you know, comp uh, um, country to country and region to region. So that those are the fixes. And now we're gonna go to work with another vendor to actually have web surveys as follow-ups um, to really have allow for open-ended uh, questions so that people can actually give us text that we can analyze in response to um, any 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 service that they got or product that they got, or even interaction with any of our self-service tools online, um, as well as our bots that we're about to launch on on the chat channel and eventually on the voice channel. Awesome, thank you. You you so you you streamlined the process. I think you said about five questions yeah. uh, over time, which I, I completely agree with with. That direction, it's it's great. Simple, less is more. Um, do you find from country to country, region to region, um, even though you, you you feel you refine the process down to a few questions, um, do you find that because you have done that, most regions, most countries are receptive to that, or do you still see variances uh, based on country or region? Um, you'd be surprised. So in you know the Americas, it was seen as normal. Right. Um, it was just another survey uh, in Europe. Actually, they were up in arms because they went from three questions to five. So 
to them, now, you know, the, the, the agents are like, oh, we're getting lower scores because we have more questions. So that's going to take a while to settle down. Um, and, and in Asia Pack, um, you know, we've got markets where there was no survey or the survey had a very different set of questions. So we're going to have to reestablish the baseline. We're going to have to start from scratch. And, you know, for those markets, instead of looking at 22 versus 21, I'm going to have to look at Q1 of 2021 versus Q4 of 20, sorry, Q1 of 2022, establish a baseline and then set the target at the end of Q1 in order to figure out where we want to end up in Q4. So it, it was definitely a heterogeneous mix that we had to streamline, um, yeah. but you know it hasn't been long enough for me to find out if the unified survey is serving all of our purposes across the markets um, well enough, but we'll, we'll make sure that we assess that in, in the middle of the year and then see where we go from there. Awesome. Uh, Ihab, let's talk about, you know, what you have done when it when it comes to training and retraining, all this information you've harvested, you've, you've implemented technology, and how it has helped improve your, 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 your training program, I would say, for your call center agents. Can you talk about linking technology, uh, what behaviors you can you can leverage from this technology, and how you deploy that back into, into you know, improving improving the effectiveness of the of the call call center agents yeah absolutely no um look the the, the training and the coaching are an essential part of getting to our goals and our goals are pretty um aggressive but achievable for 2022 we want to improve you know cost to serve by your know, double digit percentage um while at the same time improving net promoter score so my team is definitely shifting from being focused on their old metrics, which were service level of how fast do, does the agent pick up the phone and abandonment rate, how many people drop off before a call is picked up. Those were the only two metrics that we were really you know, holding on to as how well we did to now looking at cost per contact and that promoter score. So you know, we're, we're under private equity and looking at, you know, our PNL very closely. It's very different than, you know, being a function that is operating within uh, the quality function, right? Just trying to make sure we don't miss any complaints used to be the old operating uh, standard for, for this team. Now this team is all about, you know, cost effectively making a connection with our customers and driving the net promoter score of that customer about our products and about our service. So doing that required transformation across all the pillars, people, the processes, as well as the technology, right? Yep. The people wise, you know, we bet we picked the best vendors after a very long RFP process and a lot of testing and assessment for who we got. And then the technology and the processes is what we're working on now. Yep. Um, of course, COVID was a big, uh, let's call it accelerator that has put a lot more focus on what we do for training. Um, it used to be that, you know, our training team would create the materials, hand them out to the trainers. The trainers would spend multiple weeks in a classroom with the agents um, going through everything. Um, and then the teams got to know each other and then they got to know the product and the campaign. 
and really became indoctrinated as almost lifespan employees that are serving um, on our behalf. With COVID, everybody's working from home, and also a lot of the training is happening remotely as work from home. So there, there needed to be a lot of improvement um, across this area because now what we used to have before can't just be delivered over Zoom. That doesn't work, right? And so now we're, we're trying to modularize the training and we make it, we're trying to make it more interactive. We're trying to open um, channels so that the agents can interact with each other in breakouts during those trainings. So a lot of revamping is happening there um, before the agent even gets to start taking calls um, and be, be supervised. Now, this is how to get an agent to the campaign. Now, after they're on the phone, this is where I'm really excited about the new technology because it used to be that their supervisors walking around listening to agents and waiting for agents to call them for help, right? Well, what happens with the virtual contact center working from home? Yeah, you, don't, you can't raise your hand. You don't have somebody sitting next to you helping you out. You don't have all of that on-demand um, help that you used to get before. So you're going to have to get to speed to competency much faster. And to do that, you really need help on figuring out what you're doing right and what you're not doing right on the call. Yep. This goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning in terms of the listening. Um, the listening for insights about the product can also be done in terms of listening for insights about the sentiment and the effort, the sentiment of the caller and the effort of the caller to get their issues resolved. And those, in addition to you know, compliance with the script, are the three things we're going to measure and turn around and very quickly provide those back to the supervisors on the floor to really give them specific places where they need to, where they can make a big impact with coaching um, the, the, the agents, um, even if it's done remotely. You can highlight those areas and then just kind of role play what is supposed to be done a few times. Those agents can be ramped up very quickly to do the right thing on their next call, rather than, you know, waiting until by happenstance, you know, the, the 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 supervisor hears what they think is going on that is affecting the the, the net promoter score or the, the service level, and then ends up helping the agents. Like that is basically gambling, right? It, it's a very low likelihood of winning um, in that situation, but with the call monitoring happening now on 100% of the calls, right, through AI, separating out all the intents that are coming through from the caller. And then on, on top of those intents, what are the sentiments? What are the emotions? What are the, the things that are going to drive detractors? What are the things that are going to drive promoters to give those scores afterwards? You're becoming proactive. You're, you're, you're catching the thing before it happens which really then sets you up for success as an agent to do the right thing, change the conversation and change the sentiment and delight the customer before they get off the, the, the call. Amazing. I think it's kind of like our pinnacle of our conversation here, Ehab. The sentiment, the volume of recording and leveraging technology to capture all of that. Um, and, and I love the way you brought in uh, the remote working with the influence of the pandemic and how do you how do you do that effectively? And your answer here is is technology, which I couldn't agree more with with on that. Um, can you help close out our session here in terms of when folks are considering uh, doing what you've done, 
and are out, how do I go about implementing this? What are things to consider and maybe some technologies that you would, you would recommend? Yeah, sure. Um, and this is funny because it took me over a year to figure this out, uh, but I'll help you guys and whoever listens to the podcast, I hope this is the one takeaway they, they get out of it is that when you're going on a transformation journey like this, as soon as you put the feelers out into the market, you're going to get bombarded with companies trying to offer you demos and people wanting to talk to you about their their little solution here and there, their little AI here and there, their new channels, their way of doing this and that. And you're going to really, it's a big head scratcher. Where do you start? How do you do this right? How do you not waste your company's precious resources, both time and money, in exploring something that's going to fall flat on its face? And I'll tell you, we, we've had a few of those stumbling blocks along the way. And we, you know, thankfully to an agile approach and methodology, we managed to course correct and pivot and, and fire some vendors and, and hire others in order to get the right service. But if you're going to take anything out of this, it would be this. Inspect what you expect. Meaning, get your measurement in place, understand the KPIs you're trying to drive and define those very clearly communicate those with the rest of your team clearly. Then from there, you can start to change stuff. If you start changing stuff without being able to measure anything, you'll never know whether your investment was actually worth it or not, or whether it's actually going to give you the result you want by the end of the year or not. But if you put your measurement structure in place, it'll delay that change. However, that delay gratification is going to pay big because you're going to be able to measure and you're going to be able to measure not just the what, but also the why, as I said before, which helps you understand what is going wrong and why is it going wrong so that you can go and course correct. If it's the wrong technology that you've put in place, you go and change it. If it's your agents that need to do something different, you go and retrain them, right? If it's the marketing message that's not working or if it's a product issue, then you leave your team alone and you go work with R&D and marketing and your strategic marketing team to figure out, you know, what, what, what is coming up next in your pipeline. So, you know, when I looked at it this way, I ended up with three buckets. The first bucket that we prioritized ended up being the analytics, both the during the call analytics, which is the, the AI listening um, through, through um, you know, the, the, the companies that transcribe the voice and look at the chat and then assign intents and sentiment and effort and, and quality scores. And then the post-call um, surveys, which need to be done right because there's a whole science behind that and a whole bunch of great vendors that can, that can help you with that. So that was my first bucket. Then my second bucket is going to be about self-service, how to, how to put technology to work so that the simpler, you know, very frequent requests that we get can be resolved through self-service tools. So we're opening a customer portal We've built a knowledge base um, with great articles that can help with that. A lot of how-to videos that are now supplementing our instructions for use um, and a lot of support um, that could be coming from an AI bot that could you know, help you with a simple question to get you to the right uh, materials very quickly. So that the second bucket would be self-service and that would be a huge call volume deflector for you and, and, and money saver. Uh, and a big delighter for people who don't want to get on the phone if they have a very simple question. Then the third bucket, of course, is to meet your customer where they are. 
And that's by opening an omni-channel system that allows for people to contact those agents in many different ways, whether it's on chat, email, web form, click to call, as well as voice. Being voice only is a thing of the past and the reliance on voice is, is clearly going to fade um, to become you know, equally uh, supplemented by other channels. It's not gonna go away, of course, yep. but it really should be reserved for those more uh, involved cases where there's a lot of live support that's gonna be needed. Uh, beautifully said, Ihab. I mean, everything you said, and I love the way you summarize this, right? Uh, three different buckets, analytics, self-service, and then meeting the customer, right? Um, said with such finesse that I hope everyone takes away that what he, he have has done, right, is really customer-centric, really understanding everything to improve his operations, to maximize customer satisfaction. I couldn't I couldn't be more delighted about our conversation, your insights you have. Um, super excited. And thank you so much for joining us today. And anything in closing you'd like to say, please, uh, now's your time. I, you know, no, thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate that. <clears throat> the opportunity to speak about this is uh, <clears throat> very, uh, very um, energizing because, you know, it, it's not very often that I, that I get to kind of share this kind of insight with, with outside folks, um, you know, calling in. Um, so I really appreciate you guys um, you know, putting this together for others to learn. There's a lot of forums uh, for CX uh, um, you know, leaders around the, the world and, and in the US to talk about this stuff, but everybody has different problems and it, it's really hard to get you know, a single point of answers for everything. But I think this podcast um, medium should be a, a great resource for folks trying to look for something they can listen to ad hoc or whenever they feel like it. Um, to explore these topics without having to attend a three-day conference with a bunch of people, <laughs> especially now with you know COVID still not being over. So I really appreciate your guys' effort there, and I hope you know you, you see the passion that we've got at LifeScan and OneTouch to turn um, our company into a, into a leader um, when it comes to serving our customers. Um, and 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 how uh, you know I've I've been definitely putting customer care um, into the fold by making it the third leg of the stool along with sales and marketing in making us competitive um, in managing uh, diabetes and, and helping our patients live a, a world without limits um, as our vision states. Absolutely love it. Again, Ihab, thank you so much.